Good morning and welcome to church this morning. And I want to invite you to open up to Mark's gospel that we started last week. And uh, this morning we're going to be reading the first uh, eight verses and looking at the first eight verses of Mark's gospel. So let's read through that first. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me! Comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When I ask you this morning, would you go out to see him? A strange preacher, for example, outside of Port Augusta somewhere, dressed in camel's hair who ate locusts and honey, would you go out to see him? Maybe we'd think it's just another religious nut. We'd apologise for the embarrassment that he's causing. As you think on this text, you ask, what is drawing thousands of people to go out from their normal lives, their everyday lives, to hear this strange man preach in the desert? Of course, at least some of it must be curiosity and intrigue, The stories that are coming out of the desert, they're gaining momentum. People like to go and see a spectacle that's happening. But there's usually something deeper, isn't there, that drives this kind of seeking. And for the people of Israel, it seems that heaven's door has been slammed shut to them because the last of Israel's prophets, Malachi, had spoken the word of the Lord 400 years earlier and God had been silent ever since no word had come through the prophets and so Israel is a people they're occupied by the nation of Rome Herod their very own leader is loyal to Rome he doesn't care about his own people the religious leaders are spiritually divided and corrupt where is God you ever feel that way in your circumstances of your life where is God It doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem to be speaking. And so what's driving them out into the wilderness to see this strange preacher preach? Well, it's desperation. They're filled with longing. They're looking for hope. And so it's desperation and it's hope that's driving them out. Because in the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet Malachi They knew something of the promise that is spoken of in the very last paragraph of the book of Malachi. Behold, 
I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, if you know something about Elijah, Elijah was, his day was many years before. He was a prophet to Israel in the time of the kings. He almost seemed to appear from nowhere. And it was a time of spiritual decline for Israel, a time of sin and turning away from God. And so Elijah was a prophet who had separated himself from all of that. And he was used for this ministry of confrontation to go to Israel in time of spiritual decline, to confront King Ahab. It was a hard job, a job of confronting sin. And it's interesting because 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8 tells us what Elijah looked like. He was a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. Well, here in another time of spiritual decline for God's people, a man suddenly appears crying out in the wilderness, clothed in camel's hair and wearing a leather belt around his waist. And so what's driving the people out to the wilderness? It's desperation, but now it's also hope. Is this the promised Elijah? Is this the one who has come before the great day of the Lord? They are hanging on the promises of God. They are acting upon the word of God to go out and see. And this is the most important thing to do in a time of desperation is to act on the promises of God, to go out and see and to act on his promises. And they go out to the wilderness and they find a man who is not Elijah himself, but who is dressed the same as Elijah and more importantly, has a ministry the same as Elijah. He is ministering in the spirit of Elijah. Verse 4 says that he comes baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so again, we have another prophet who has come and he is confronting the spiritual state of Israel. He's drawn them out to the wilderness, separating them from their normal way of life to be washed of their sins. This is often how God works. He draws people out to the wilderness. And we know this, this is fresh in our minds if you were with us last year, because we saw this in the book of Exodus. We saw how Israel was drawn out. They were separated from slavery in Egypt. They were brought through the water of the Red Sea, a kind of baptism into the wilderness where God prepared them for the making of a covenant. Well, here, John's baptism is once again calling people out from slavery to sin to come and meet with God in the wilderness through water to prepare themselves for a new covenant with God. God always does this. He draws people out to the wilderness to prepare them for a new work that he is doing. Well, what is that work? Well, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40 that John's message would be like a great bulldozer. A bulldozer has to shift a lot of hard ground in order to make a road, to make a highway. And in Isaiah chapter 40, He says that every mountain shall be brought low and every valley shall be lifted up and the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places will be made plain. And this is a description of what true repentance does. It brings down all the high mountains of pride that we stand on and we refuse to admit that we're wrong. It takes all the depressed valleys of life and lifts them up where we punish ourselves and fill ourselves with self-loathing and shame. It takes the crooked places of our lives where we've lied and deceived and it straightens them and it makes the rough places plain. It bulldozes through the hard ground of our hearts to prepare a way, to make a way. And then God is there, 
right at the instant of that repentance, God is there. And this is the preparation for his presence, for his coming. This is John's ministry. And so you can imagine this out in the wilderness. They're coming to grips with the weight of God's perfect law and their their sin. They are recognizing that they have put other gods before him. They've cheated. They've lied. They've been lustful and wrathful in their spirit. They've been jealous and stolen and they've hated. They've lived for themselves. They've held grudges. They've withheld forgiveness from others. And they've stopped living for God. And you imagine this, people are coming out from everywhere. It says all Judea, all of Jerusalem. You can imagine lines of people listening to the voice of John crying out in the wilderness as they come to grips with their sin. And then they're fully immersed in water. John takes them down and baptizes them in water, a symbol of the offer of forgiveness and the washing of God from their sin. Now, this, of course, was in contrast to some other onlookers that come. And you read about this in Luke's gospel. Some religious leaders, they come out to investigate John's baptism, to see what's happening out there in the desert. They have a religion of looking really pretty on the outside. They have a a religion that's designed to look good so that others might praise them for their holiness. And they come and they investigate, but John sees straight through them and he calls them a brood of vipers. They're snakes in the grass. Because what was taking place out here was a true work of God. Not one that just dresses up the outside, but a true inner work of God. It was one not of external experiences, but appearances, but humble confession. Because these people are a desperate people. They're in need of real hope. And this is always when you know that God is working. The pretty external religion, the mask that we all like to wear comes off and we come out open and honest and laid bare before God. And so John's ministry is to bulldoze through all of that mask wearing that we we tend to have. We tend to keep up appearances and look good, good for others. John wants to bulldoze through all of that. And he's creating a real highway for hope. And this highway is prepared through repentance, through those mountains of pride coming down. Well, in verse 7, John announces the hope. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. So John's ministry is not just to bulldoze a highway with repentance, but to point to the one who is going to come walking on the highway, the one who offers real hope. In John's mind, really what he's done and who he is, is nothing compared to the one who is going to walk down the highway and bring hope to these people. He he says only slaves would untie the shoes of their master. That's a job for a slave. And he's saying, I'm not even worthy to do that task of the one that is to come. And the reason he gives is in verse 8. He says, because I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what does this mean? You, You can catch the picture. Imagine again, this long line of people confessing their sins, waiting to be fully immersed in water. And they walk out of the river and of course, they're dripping wet. From head to toe, they're dripping wet, but the water has only touched them on the outside of their bodies. It's an external thing. You can see it, but it's just touched them on the outside. But John says that the one who comes after him will cleanse them on the inside. He will drench their inner being with the very presence of the living God. He will wash their human, uh, the human soul of its stains, and he will saturate you with the permanent presence 
of the empowering God, the Holy Spirit. His work in their lives won't just be symbolic, a symbolic washing. It will be internal and living. You see, repentance and confession, whilst necessary, alone doesn't save. It's only through Jesus himself, the one who comes walking on the highway, that the prophet said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. How does that come? It's through Jesus himself, the one who is greater who comes. And so what John is saying to this desperate people is, Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. The one that the nation has been looking for and the one that you have been looking for. He is the one who doesn't just wash on the outside, but he drenches your soul with the power and the presence of God. And so John the Baptist is one, he is a prophet who stands on the hinge of the old covenant of the law and the new covenant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the voice that cries out about our sins according to God's holy law upon which every one of us stands condemned. But that's the highway of preparation. But the hope is Jesus himself, who alone can save and forgive our sins. And so he stands on the edge of redemptive history. He's the last prophet who comes with good news, which is why Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the new beginning that there is in Jesus Christ who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You know, the truth is, is that there is no Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. There's no Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. And we know that because John is saying here that he who comes after will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, Jesus says himself, whoever believes in me, it's a statement of faith, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said of the Spirit, the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But we know that in Acts, after his death and his resurrection, Jesus ascended. He was glorified and received into heaven for completing his work. And then after Jesus left, his promise came about on the day of Pentecost and the Spirit descended on believers and the Holy Spirit indwelt them and they were filled with his presence. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, not just the external work, but the internal work. This is the beautiful thing of the ministry of Jesus, of faith in Jesus brings that when you believe in him, he baptizes your soul. He washes your soul. You're forgiven. The pure and the perfect Blood of Jesus actually sprinkles your soul to make a holy place for God to come and dwell because God cannot mingle with what is not holy. And so the blood of Jesus actually sprinkles your soul, makes a holy sanctuary, a holy place for God to come and dwell. And his baptism then fills you with the presence of God so that you know that he's with you every day, every day of your life. God is with you. He's with you. He's with you. He never leaves. In the Old Testament, there were times of the Spirit coming and the Spirit leaving. But now through faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit has come and His presence lives within us. His baptism secures you for eternity. So it's a permanent and a perfect work that secures you to the day of redemption. And His baptism actually empowers you to serve Him, just in the likeness of, the, of John the Baptist, the humble servant. And so He gifts us, He endows us with gifts so that we might serve Him in the humble way of John the Baptist. And so John's message then and today 
or everyone who's desperate and seeking, Jesus is the one you've been looking for. He's the one who baptizes you, who fills you with the presence of God. I remember a time of desperation in my life some 12 or 13 years ago now, a time where it felt like heaven's door was shut to me because of my sin and because of guilt and shame. I had deep feelings of desperation on a daily basis, being trapped, unable to see a way out of that. But God, in his mercy, he drew me out to a place of wilderness. And for me, it was a time of humbling. And God used that time to confront my heart and to confront my heart of sin and called me to repentance, just as John the Baptist here confronted the people of Israel. And in that repentance, I found God to be there in the instant of repentance, in the instant of that mountain coming down. I found God to be there instantly. And I saw the work of Jesus afresh, the hope coming down the highway. I knew I was not just forgiven on the outside, but my soul was washed clean. I was made new for eternity. And this is how every great work of God will happen in your life. He'll draw you out to the desert place. He'll confront you in your life of sin. He'll help you to see again your need for forgiveness and also confirm his presence and his salvation. I've been looking in many different places to deal with the desperation of my heart and soul. I realized that in that time of wilderness, and in actual fact, many time of wilderness experiences since, that Jesus is the one I've been looking for, that Jesus is always the one I'm looking for. He is the one who cleanses and gives grace and pardons us and cleanses us within. I want to ask you this morning, if you're in that place today, there's some desperation, there's some longing in your life, but you feel powerless about your circumstances, circumstances in your life are just making it even worse. You know that your relationship with God isn't where it should be. I want to ask you this morning if you'll go to that place. Will you go out to see him, to prepare the way? Is there some bulldozing in your heart that is needed? As Isaiah 40 said, that every mountain shall be brought low and every valley shall be lifted up. The crooked places be made straight and the rough places plain. Many of us live with a mountain of pride unforgiveness, harshness, a critical spirit, a standoff in our relationships, the refusal to surrender. There's crooked places in our life. Sin has taken a foothold. There's deceit and lying and immorality, the rough places. Perhaps there's some of you who are in the valley of depression, self-loathing and shame, the feeling of what's the point. You know, God may just be drawing you out to the place of wilderness to confront that spiritual decline. God often works this way. And it's painful and it's difficult and unusual, but out there is where we find hope. And this is part of his grace, because when we confront our life of sin and remove the rubble, it straightens the path for God to come. It prepares the way for his presence. And so perhaps this is a time in your life at the moment to confront, to say, Lord, I've been living in unconfessed sin. I can't remember the last time I confessed my sin to you and I came to you in a real genuine way. Not just tidied myself up from the outside, but actually let you have your way with me deeply in my heart. But now I'm coming to seek you. 
And the truth is it may feel strange. It may involve upending your normal pattern for today. It may involve upending your pattern for this week. For Israel, they had to go out to the desert to hear a man who ate honey and locusts and preached out in the desert. But they had an eye for the promises of God. And so they acted on those promises. And this is the key for desperate people. If you're desperate out there today, this is the key. That's the, the, the place that your heart must come to where you're willing to go out there and act on the promises of God. And this is how God draws near. James says this, draw near to God and he will. See that promise? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise that you have to act on if you're desperate today. He will. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. This is the picture I have by the river of what the people were doing. They were mourning for their sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's a promise. We need to act on that promise. We need to act on that promise. I want to invite you to bow your heads this morning. Lord, there's some who don't know where to turn today. Failure after failure, hurt after hurt, and shame and fear in their life. And Father, it may just be that you're drawing out to the wilderness and have been for some time, but we don't want to go. We don't want to go and build a highway and bulldoze these hard places in our lives. But Lord, if we don't, then we never experience the fullness of your presence, the empowering presence of God in our life. And that's what we long for and desire. Lord, I pray that you might cause us as an act of your spirit, Lord, not of the flesh, but of your spirit to help us to repent, to come back to you, to confess our sins openly, knowing that after that time, you're there. In an instant of our repentance, we know you again. We know the good news. We know Jesus is with us. We know the presence of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I just pray if, if we need to upend the normal pattern of this day or this week, whatever it is of our lives, to go out and seek you, I pray that we might, and that we might find you there and meet you there. We thank you, Lord, for this good news that a highway was prepared for Jesus to come. Lord, that the law and obedience to the law could never save, but it's only through Jesus who gives us a new heart. And I pray that people might be filled with hope today, Lord, filled with the hope of the life of Jesus, that we might follow him with all of our heart, and that we might love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I pray and ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close, as we worship him.